The following is a President's Chapel given by Dr. W. Robert Godfrey. For more information about this lecture or about Westminster Seminary, California, visit us online at wscal.edu or call 888-480-8474, wscal.edu, 888-480-8474. Let us pray together. O Lord our God, how thankful we are that we can sing of your love, of your great salvation, of your eternal care for your people in your plan, in your purpose, in your realizing that plan in history. And so we rejoice in our Lord Jesus Christ and his saving work and are thankful that you have given us your word, that word to nourish our souls and to direct us in truth and in life. So we pray your spirit would be with us to help us as we look into that word, uh, for we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, this is a phenomenal turnout for the last uh, chapel in, uh, in term. Uh, and uh, I know that you have come for the donuts. And um, uh, if I had uh, only thought more clearly, I would have retired more often. Um, <laughs> So uh, it's good to have you uh, all here, and uh, uh, our focus is on the Word of God and His goodness. So please turn with me Psalm 105. We've been looking at that psalm uh, all semester, and uh, I've planned this brilliantly, I hope you notice, so that we come to the end of the psalm uh, at the end of the semester. But I want to begin uh, reading Psalm 105 at the beginning, uh, reading the first 11 verses, and then we'll skip down to verse uh, 42. Let us hear God's own word. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the peoples, sing to him, sing praises to him, tell of all his wondrous works, glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Seek the Lord and his strength, seek his presence continually, remember the wondrous works that he has done, his miracles and the judgments he uttered, O offspring of Abraham, his servant, children of Jacob, his chosen ones. He is the Lord our God. His judgments are in all the earth. Remember his, he remembers his covenant forever, the word that he commanded for a thousand generations, the covenant that he made with Abraham, his sworn promise to Isaac, which he confirmed to Jacob as a statute, to Israel as an everlasting covenant, saying to you, I will give the land of Canaan as your portion for an inheritance. And then skipping down to verse 42. For he remembered his holy promise and Abraham his servant. So he brought his people out with joy, his chosen ones with singing, and he gave them the lands of the nations and they took possession of the fruit of the people's toil that they might keep his statutes and observe his laws. Praise the Lord. Uh, this psalm ends with this call to praise. And it began with a call to thanksgiving. Uh, this is a psalm of praise. It is a psalm of praise for all the great works of the Lord, uh, but a psalm of praise particularly uh, for the promise that God gave to Abraham that he would give to him and to his people a land. And this psalm concludes with the 
fulfillment of that promise that the Lord brings his people out of Egypt, the house of bondage, and brings them in to the land of promise as he had declared he would. And so this is a psalm of praise in general, but it's also a psalm of praise that's very particular, and it's very particular to make the point that God is a God who keeps his promises. And uh, that is a message that God's people need at all times, in all places, uh, in every generation. Our God is a God who keeps his promises, and he keeps them in um, wonderful ways, profound ways. Um, and he gave to them the lands of the nations, and they took possession of the fruit of the people's toil. Uh, God gave them lands that were not theirs. He gave them homes that were not theirs. He gave them uh, wells that were not theirs. He gave them orchards that were not theirs. They had entered in to the labors of other people, and they had reaped the benefit. And... Uh, that provision of the Lord, uh, we can't talk about much today because it enters immediately into politics and uh, into uh, whether this is just or right, but God had made clear why this was going to happen. The nations had filled their measure of sin and rebellion, and the Lord was punishing them justly. And he was bringing his people then into a land in fulfillment of his problem, but promise, but not just a barren land, but an abundantly wonderful land to occupy. This is the way God treats his people. He's abundant in the fulfilling of his promise. And he had a purpose. It wasn't just to fulfill the promise that he'd made to Abraham, but he made that, Abraham, that promise to Abraham with a purpose in mind, namely that they would be in a place where they could have fellowship with their God. That was the whole purpose of this. Uh, this is always so important for us to remember. God does not act in mechanical ways. He works in personal ways. He's not a power, he's a person, and he delights in the prospect of having a people with whom he may fellowship. And that's what he was doing here. This is what he called his people to. This is the purpose for the fulfillment of the promise, that they might keep his statutes and observe his laws, that they might be a holy people, that they might be a consecrated people, that they might be a people set apart from the nations for the Lord to have fellowship with him in the way that he established. And this is an important lesson uh, for us to learn because one of the great problems God's people always face is how to keep things balanced. Um, it is very tempting for the people of God if they actually have a season in which they're responsible and disciplined and following the ways of the Lord, for them to say, well, see how good we are and how much we should have earned from the Lord. And on the other hand, when the seasons are obvious that the people have been rebellious and sinful and God's grace abounds in the midst of sinners, then God's people are tempted to say, well, we don't have to keep the law of God at all because God is so gracious. And this is important for the church today. Uh, the church can neither earn God's favor nor be negligent of God's law. 
And part of what we're trying to learn here out of the scriptures, part of what your calling is to be preachers and teachers is to try to help people get that balance clear. We are called to recognize that we are a people of grace and forgiveness and a people called to be holy. And that's what the Lord would have of us. That's what the Lord is uh, working out for us. So uh, he has a, a clear promise he's made. It's a, a promise he fulfills. It's a promise with a purpose. But even for that people, as much as for us, there can't help but be a kind of little voice in the back of the head that says, yes, but God made other promises too. He promised that if the people did not walk in his ways, if they did not keep his laws and statutes, then he would exile them. It's very interesting, in the latter chapters of Deuteronomy, God over and over again says, I will never leave you or forsake you. But if you come into the land and are disobedient, I will forsake you. <laughs> uh, now, how does that work? Uh, how, how does that work? Well, because there's the promise both of the land and of exile from the land, but also beyond that, the promise of restoration. And God, you know, gives us the whole Bible. One of the great problems in the whole history of the church is that people lift verses out of parts of the Bible and absolutize them without relating them properly to other parts of the Bible. And to avoid that, God has given us not only Psalm 105, but Psalm 106. Uh, he knew that uh, some of us don't read um, all the time extensively, so he put the two close together so we couldn't miss it. And, and they're sort of a, a mirror image of each other. Psalm 105 is the psalm praising God for his great continuing faithfulness. And Psalm 106 is the psalm about Israel's continuing, recurring, inexplicable faithlessness. And Psalm 106 then summarizes that. Verse 43, many times he delivered them, but they were rebellious in their purposes and were brought low through their iniquity. But that's not the end of the story. That's what's so glorious about our God. The psalm goes on, nevertheless, he looked upon their distress when he heard their cry. For their sake, he remembered his covenant and relented according to the abundance of his steadfast love. He caused them to be pitied by all those who held them captive. Save us, O Lord our God, and gather us from among the nations that we may give thanks to your holy name and glory in your praise. This is the anticipation that God has not only out of his love mitigated their sufferings in exile, but has promised that he will bring them back and they're praying at the end of Psalm 106 for the fulfillment um, of that promise. And uh, the key here, it seems to me, is that all of this flows from God's steadfast love, from his chesed. I throw that in because I understand some seniors are facing a prophet's exam, um, which I have heard is entirely a covenant of works. And uh, uh, so I'm helping you with your Hebrew. Um, 
all of God's purpose, all of God's promise, all of God's favor and mercy and saving work flows out of his love. And for us, we are privileged to know that love embodied in Jesus Christ. Come out of the Father's love, come with the Father's love, come for the Father's love, come to redeem us. And, and this psalm is celebrating that for us. This psalm is uh, laying that out uh, clearly before us. Um, God operates for his own, out of his love for them, out of his uh, concern about them. And uh, the great fulfillment of all of these hopes, of all of these promises, is to be found in Jesus Christ. And that's why the New Testament really sees the reality that the, the hope for a promised land was only typologically represented in Canaan, uh, but really is pointing forward to Jesus coming to provide ultimately a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. It's not one little part of this earth about which God is concerned. He's ultimately concerned about the whole earth, about all the nations, uh, that there might be people uh, drawn to be part of his church from every tribe and tongue and nation. And that's the great commission that is given to us, isn't it? That we're to go to all nations, to teach all nations, to be disciples of Jesus, and to do all that he has commanded us. There's the grace and the law balanced together in the life of the people of God. Uh, this is what is is laid before us, is laid on our hearts uh, to be in his service. And this great psalm, in a sense, is, is almost summed up for us in, in one little verse in Psalm 106. Um, what, what does this all come down to? Um, psalm 106, verse 12, um, in the midst of all these ups and downs of the people, talks about what the people really ought to be like at their best. Then they believed his words, verse 12. Then they believed his words, they sang his praise. Uh, this is what we're called to as the people of God. This is where life for us will really come. They believed his words. Uh, that's, that's what Protestantism is all about. Believing God's words believing that it's the word God uses to tell us his will and to bring us life by his spirit. It's why you spend the time you do here studying the word. Because it's the word that is our life. It's the word that God uses to bring life. It's not through rituals. It's not through priestcraft. It's through the word. And Israel's problem was that so often they failed to believe the word. And its strength in its life was when they did believe the word. And when they believed the word, when they hid that word in their hearts, then they sang praise to God. And that's what this psalm calls us to. Uh, singing praise to the God who always keeps his promises, who always keeps his promise to his people, and has promised that in Jesus Christ, however much we may need to be chastised from time to time, he will not ultimately 
leave us or forsake us. That's their promise. And um, I don't know if you were expecting some big finish. Uh, Calvinists are not into big finish, uh, uh, especially Dutch Calvinists. Um, all I can say is that uh, I am confident that the seminary is going to continue with these great commitments uh, to Christ, to his word, to his gospel, to his church. Um, and uh, although this psalm comes to an end and some other things may be coming to an end, uh, the important thing is that uh, the truth continues and Christ continues and the work continues and our concern is uh, that we be faithful uh, in that work. Um, I think uh, Calvinists are not very good at taking compliments. Um, and uh, I was a little chagrined about the latest update with talking about uh, faithfulness. Uh, my only reaction is one of gratitude. Gratitude to God for his goodness to me and to the seminary over these years and uh, confidence that God will continue to be faithful. He's the faithful one and I praise him and you praise him. Uh, praise God. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful for your unfailing love. We are thankful that uh, your love was placed upon us in eternity and that your love was shown to us and embodied for us in Jesus Christ, our Savior, in whom alone we have hope and life. And so, O oh Lord, draw us ever more closely to your word and the truth as it is in Christ, as we know that in your word. And uh, we pray that uh, all of us together might ever be committed to that great truth. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Copyright 2017, Westminster Seminary, California. All rights reserved. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format, provided that you do not alter the wording in any way and that you do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction. For web posting, a link to this document on our website is preferred.